This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 29, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Private contractors in a war zone present a unique set of challenges and unique political opportunities for lawmakers. Cato Institute adjunct scholar David Eisenberg, author of the new book Shadow Force, has some advice for the new administration about how to handle these contracts in the coming years. Since the United States initially invaded Iraq, and since even before that, it in, since it first went into Afghanistan, the utilization of contractors has only increased dramatically so in Iraq, but also steadily in Afghanistan. It is a fact that there are now more contractors in total operating in Iraq than you have active duty military forces all U.S. forces together uh, are less than the total number of both security and a greater proportion of logistics contractors. You now have over 200,000 contractors of all types. Post-surge, you're now down to between 130 and 140,000 U.S. forces. Given our experience in Iraq for the past five-plus years and uh, in Afghanistan even longer, what advice would you have given that experience to the incoming Obama administration about how the military ought to uh, use what the proper uses are of contractors and where they're simply inappropriate to use? I think there are two points to be made. One is that the United States government desperately needs more people with green eye shades. By that, I mean the long-standing, long-standing scandal regarding the utilization of private contractors, both logistic and security contractors if you do not have sufficient nor enough experienced and qualified personnel to formulate contracts, to review the contracts when they're being bid, to monitor them once they've been awarded and implemented that. Everybody who works in the industry has understood this for years. The people who have been dodgy successfully understood it to be able to exploit uh, contracts. That's why you have poster boys for fraud, like the famous Custer Battles case, or in some cases, met former managers with KBR, the former Halliburton division. Uh, most contractors are reputable, but they uh, are the undergo temptation because the government doesn't have enough auditors. Um, the ones that it does have who are good are on the verge of retirement. The ones that they desperately need are not being trained. The Gansler Commission in 2000 said as much, and they basically said you need an emergency crash program to get contractors out in the field. That means agencies like the Defense Contract Management Agency, the Defense Contract Audit Agency, uh, the Government Accountability Office all need to beef up their personnel dealing with the uh, letting of contracts uh, to, uh, uh, to the private military and security firms. Uh, the other part of it is, is that the government needs to give greater thought about how it utilizes security contractors. These are a smaller set of contractors, but nevertheless, they are the ones who get uh, all the attention. And uh, if you're looking at something like counterinsurgency doctrine or trying to win the hearts and minds of people, clearly letting things go on as they have in the past where some contractors... Uh, again, the smallest part of the security contractor set, but did operate uh, with the wrong attitudes. Um, 
they concentrated on the protection of their clients to all else, which meant innocent Iraqi civilians got killed. That can't continue. So whether the military reigns them in, has greater coordination with existing regular military forces, or beefs up its regular military forces to take back the task that it's outsourced, uh, guarding convoys, for example, uh, it has to do one of those things. But I think Obama recognized early on, actually, that the government is no longer in a position to do without contractors for its military operations. They are, in effect, America's express card, and the U.S. military no longer goes to war or does any military operation without contractors. And interestingly enough, if you look at current U.S. military doctrine, it's basically a source of continuing revenues for contractors. Think back to the way we entered into Iraq in the first place. This was the proving ground for Don Rumsfeld's theory of warfare, the revolution of military affairs, where you essentially have a high-tech war and uh, you have a light footprint on the ground. Well, who runs those high-tech weaponry in many cases? It's not the regular military forces. It's private contractors who are accompanying the forces. Who does the provisioning of those forces in the operations? It's private military contractors. Who's involved in any post-combat phase of operations, whether it be humanitarian relief or reconstruction or Victor Krulak's free block war? It's private contractors. And in, despite everything that's happened in Iraq, they have not repudiated the Rumsfeld Doctrine. Any future war or military operation that they seek to do will still be in that Rumsfeld mode. Hence, it means more business for contractors. So the Obama administration realizes that. And while they will probably take some steps to try and improve the coordination and oversight, uh, they're very clear. They're not going to try and, and ban or do away with private contractors or take everything back in-house. So um, it's, they're going to continue to work with them because they have no other choice. You point out that there are political benefits to using contractors over and above the uniformed uh, military personnel. What are they? Well, from the government government perspective, it, it's now clear. It lowers the death toll. Nobody gives a crap about contractors when they're wounded or killed. If, in fact, they did, these reports of the death tolls in Iraq, which now hoover slightly above 4,000, would be increased by... More than 1,500, probably close to 2,000, not even counting the wounded, of course, which would put in probably another uh, 15, maybe even approaching 20,000 wounded personnel. Those costs are never tallied in the news report, of course, and so it lowers their uh, political calculus of the war tremendously because there's only two things that— people care about when they look at war costs. You know, they look at the overall money which is spent, and they look at the number of people who are killed. Beyond that, they don't really care. How has the use of these contractors, particularly in Iraq, how has that muddled the attempts to try to get a good sense of just how much this war is costing? Nobody has a good handle on what the military itself spends in the normal course of operations. Bookkeeping in the Pentagon has been abysmal for decades. It neither knows how much it authorizes, appropriates, or obligates. Beyond that, the utilization of private contractors and precisely the value of the contracts, depending on whether they are fixed or cost plus, um, is another complicating factor. The truth of the fact The truth of the matter is they don't know precisely how many contracts have been let 
to private military and security firms because there's a number of different agencies doing that, and they don't talk to each other or share common databases. Uh, many of these contracts are for uh, periods of time which are ongoing. The State Department's Worldwide Personal Protective Services contract is uh, goes on years at the time, same way for the military's log cap logistics civil augmentation program, and so you don't even begin to total up the cost until years later. Um, so uh, the short answer is it complicates it because they don't get the information in a timely fashion and they don't coordinate among all the different agencies getting the contract, so there's no one place you can go to to figure out how much more it adds to the cost. David Eisenberg is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and author of the new book, Shadow Force. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.